You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. I hope you're enjoying the week between Christmas and New Year's. I'm Nicole Sandler, actually taking the week off. But I've assembled some best of shows, actually just shows, gleaned from this past year. Today, we go back to March 4th for a very, very special interview. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh, and she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's The Nicole Sandler Show. All right, so here we are. Hopefully, uh, the Progressive Voices Network is has joined us, uh, or I might be a minute early, uh, depending on which clock I'm looking at. All right, well, welcome, Progressive Voices listeners. Today... I decided to start a little early. So, um, oh, I should have played one of the old intros. You know, when I, when, when I started on Progressive Voices, I was actually doing two hours a day. They only carried the second hour. So, um, uh, when I'd come back, well, I don't, I don't have a queued up anywhere. Uh, we had a, a, rejo- a joiner for them. Anyway, neither here nor there. It is a Friday and, um, I already had a great show planned for you today. Steve Van Zandt, also known to many of us as Miami Steve or Little Steven, has a new book out. In fact, I've got it right here. It's called Unrequited Infatuations. I'm still not done with it yet, but it doesn't leave my side because (laughs) because it's it's really good. If it wasn't such a busy, crazy week, I would have gotten further into it than I did. But um, so... Uh, I've been promising you that we were going to play this interview today, and I wasn't going to preempt it because, you know what, I wanted something to get our minds off of life um, to take us into the weekend. And we start out serious, and then we we lighten up as the hour progresses. But then last night, the news broke of um, of Russia dropping a bomb at least in the vicinity of the biggest nuclear power plant in all of Europe, happens to be in Ukraine. And then the reports that the the plant was on fire. 
and I don't know about you, but I felt sick to my stomach because I thought this is going to be Chernobyl on steroids. I thought this was the beginning of the end. I even heard some crazy right-winger go, oh, well, this was God's plan to have Putin invade Ukraine and start the the, the apocalypse. Like, give me a fucking break. <sighs> so, um, already, and, and we'll, we'll go through this as the hour progresses, but, I, well, no, I, we won't because I did this in the last hour. Now, if you're just joining us now and you go, wait a minute, I missed the last hour. I had Harvey Wasserman on talking about the dangers of even a traditional ground shooting war in a country where there is so much nuclear power, where there are so many places where it could all go wrong. And so I was going to have him on the program. We had him scheduled for Wednesday of next week. But when this news broke last night and I'm thinking, holy shit, it happened. I sent him an email. I said, can we talk tomorrow instead? And then I figured I'd just do a bonus hour. So I did. So if you missed it, because, you know, you were listening to Randy or whatever, or you just know you come over here at 5 o'clock Eastern, it'll be on the podcast. It's on the video. I will also put timestamps in the video and the YouTube uh, uh, description part so that if you want to skip past the first stuff, the first hour, and just go directly to uh, the Steve Van Zandt interview, you can. So we're flexible. But anyway, if you missed it, Get the podcast. It'll be posted on the blog. It, you know, it's, it'll be everywhere. Um, so you, you may have missed it live, but you get the chance to hear it anyway. So Steve Van Zant, in case you didn't know, I happen to be one of the biggest Bruce Springsteen fans ever. Well, you know what? That's not even fair because there are some people who are, you know, who are a little out there and I'm there, but you know, in all things in moderation. So anyway, I've been a fan of Springsteen. Since the River Tour, and actually why I go through this story with Steve, so I'm not going to repeat it now, but I've seen them live easily a couple of dozen times over the years. Um, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, certainly my favorite live concert ever, multiple times, and one of my favorite artists. And Steve Van Zandt is there. And not only do we love Steve Van Zandt, from his time with E Street Band. But of course, he was Silvio Dante and the Sopranos. And then he's got this other show on Netflix called Lilyhammer and and a million other things. His two formats, now three on Sirius XM, Little Steven's Underground Garage and um, and all that stuff. So, you know, we have a lot to talk about. So, well, you know what? I'm just going to get going on it. Um because we can. So, with no further ado, um, whatever you want to call them. And, you, you know, <laughs> I always talk about, sometimes it's awkward when I start an interview. And by the way, just so you know the background, when he joined me, he was about seven or eight minutes late because he was having trouble with the Zoom, getting into the Zoom room. So, he was, you know, I know I get pissy when that happens. He, I'm not saying he was pissy, but he was frustrated and then I started off with a stupid question. And um, so it took me a few minutes to kind of get things on track. But I haven't edited this. This is exactly how the, the conversation progressed. I hope you enjoy it uh, even close to as much as I did. All right. So here we go. Steve Van Zandt. It's good to see you again. Uh, you don't remember, but you and I spoke the morning after 
the Sopranos finale. Uh, I was hosting a morning show here in South Florida, in Miami, on WINZ, which was at the time a progressive talk station. You came in to do an interview on the classic rock station with uh, with Paul at Big 105.9, and I, I somehow commandeered you to come in my studio, and we, we spent some time talking, and it was just such a thrill for me. Um, so it's nice to see you again, uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you. And and actually, I've known you for many, many years. Um, when I first met you, you were Miami Steve Van Zandt. Uh, we, you didn't know me, but I knew you. And then you became little Steven, and now you're Stevie Van Zandt. Is there a, is there a reason for, <laughs> not Steve, but no. Stevie, just because? Yeah, you know, I don't know, change it up every now and then. Okay, no. works for me. Uh, you're you're on Twitter at Stevie Van Zandt, and I noticed that you've been engaging with people on the, what's going on now. Things are kind of crazy. Um, I, I I'm I'm mortified by what's happening, and I feel like I need to do something. I want to reach out to 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 talk to people. So I actually did call over there, and I met a woman named Tatiana who runs uh, owns a hostel in Kiev. And we've been communicating via text on the Telegram app. And she's she's stuck underground because the air raid sirens keep going off. Um, things are crazy now. How do how do you how do you you know, how do you deal with stuff like this? Well, I don't think anybody's had to deal with this exactly before. You know, I've never seen, uh, you know, a country. uh uh, you know, destroyed uh, minute by minute on TV before, you know, this is a first. It really is. And it's just, it's just absolutely sickening and horrifying. And uh, I, I can't believe uh, what we're doing, honestly, or what we're not doing. What should we you be know? doing? Well, I don't believe this, you know, nuke stuff. I think he's full of shit. You know, I think he's a bully. And all bullies are pussies, and pussies meaning pussy cats. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know, I'm sorry, but I don't believe a word he says. And uh, I would be taking out that convoy right now. And uh, I don't give a shit. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna stand by and watch a country get disintegrated right before our eyes. It's 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 unbelievably sickening to me. You know, and we're standing around making speeches, and uh, you know, all these are the strongest sanctions ever. Yeah, great. You know, they're going to take effect like a year from now. Right. It's too late. We need to act right now. And I don't, you know, I would send six Raptors in there and take out that convoy and clear that airspace. And like, you know, if he says anything, say, yeah, we just wanted to give him a, you know, we want to make make it an even playing field, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, Well, it it certainly isn't now. And yeah, he's the bully. Um, And it's just inconceivable what's happening. And the fact that we're seeing it play out in real time is just. No, this is is the first. I mean, you know, Vietnam was the first time that we got, you know, we got the uh, the horror on the six o'clock news at the time, you know that was which which was why the war ended when it did. Right, know. right. Thank goodness for that, for that little bit of media at the time. Uh, you know, who knows how, how long that horror would have went on? But but um, this time. You know, we're watching, you know, step by step. Okay, the convoy is now five miles closer. 
And, you know, and now these cities are now encircled and they have it on the map. And it's like, I'm like, what is this? A fucking video game? What are we doing? Right. You know? And, and- uh, we lost our fucking minds. I mean, I don't get it. You know, I'm not afraid of this fucking guy. You think he's going to actually nuke somebody? Of course he's not. I mean, there will be somebody in in the Kremlin that will put a bullet in his head before he hits the nuclear button. Believe me, I hope so. You know, I and I and I hoped that that was the case with Trump. God forbid, if he ever got to that point, that someone would have done that. Um, it's just as terrifying because I think Putin is every bit as crazy as Trump, uh, and th- th- people like that shouldn't be in positions of power. But you know, they didn't ask you or me, so no, no, no. That's that's you know, but that's what they want you to believe. You know. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I mean, believe me, they're not that stupid. Right. I mean, if it comes down to World War Three, which is not, they lose. Okay, we, we we vaporize Russia. All right. Yeah, we lose. We lose. We lose some people, but we don't lose that war. It, right. Just just for but just keep it. You know, everybody should keep that in mind. You know, the back of their minds. We're the tough guys, not them. You know, half their shit doesn't even work. Right. No. They probably ran out of gas with this fucking convoy. (laughs) And what what the Ukrainians are finding is they come upon the Russian equipment is it's in horrible shape that their stuff is better. Right. It's all smoke and mirrors. They can't sustain this. That's the other thing. So, yeah, it's it's a crazy time. But Steve Van Zandt, you you know, you have not shied away from hot spots in the world. Um, you know, you 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 were already known through your association with Bruce and your the songwriting and your playing uh, when you decided to go to South Africa and get a whole bunch of of great musical heroes together and record Sun City and take on apartheid um, that what made you have you always had a political side that 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 you've been active or what was that what started uh-huh. it? No, no, no. It was, um, you know, this is what I explain in the book in great detail. Um, it took a long time to get there. I was the least political person in the world. And, um, um, you know, um, I, how, how do I make a 400-page book uh, give you a sound, a sound bite here? Right. But, but basically, uh, you know, I, I started off... Uh, um, realizing if I was going to have a solo career, I needed to have an identity... And um, I decided I would be the political guy and, and do it 24-7. Um, you know, there had been lots, lots of us uh, at protest marches and whatever, but um, and, and a song every now and then. But nobody was doing it all the time and, and, and thematically on every song, on every record. So I decided that that was what I would do. And so I became kind of an artist journalist at that point. And... Um, South Africa was just something on my list. You know, we, I was 44 conflicts going on at the time. I was studying all of our uh, foreign policy since World War II. Wow. Uh, just being appalled by what I was finding, you know, thinking that we were the heroes of democracy everywhere. And, of course, we were not. And South Africa was just a great example of it. And um, and so, long um, story short, uh, uh, while I was down there doing the research, um, some things, so you know, some things went down that really pushed me from from being uh, uh, more than you know, more than an artist journalist. But I turned into an artist journalist activist uh, on that on that particular issue. 
and came back and said, no, this is not going to be another song on my next album. I got to, I got to get more attention for this, you know? So I was going to try and get one artist from every genre, you know, five or six you know, people. And we ended up with like 50 and, uh, and thanks to Danny Schechter, uh, who, who publicized it. And thanks to Arthur Baker, who, who's, uh, whose phone book was the Sun City record and Hart Perry, who filmed it, you know, the, the four, us, us four musketeers, we, uh, we managed to do the impossible. And, um, basically we ended up, you know, helping bring down that government. Yeah, you did. Um, I, I don't know that you get enough credit for it, but you did. That was that was a huge thing, and it was before anybody else was doing it. I mean, there, there have been big, you know, group records to support ending hunger or whatever. But this really, you took on apartheid in South Africa. This was huge, and um, you know, I get you said you wanted to establish a solo identity you were known to the world as miami steve bruce's sideman um but you weren't you weren't on the first album you weren't you were there before i'm i'm loving the book by the way the book is called unrequited infatuations uh it is must read material especially for any fan of your music and springsteen's music and Southside johnny and the whole era i mean i've been a fan since pretty much the beginning but and i read bruce's book but your take on it is it's a it's a different perspective but so hearing how you came up and you know um the early days i loved hearing the story about sleeping in that apartment on the floor um you were, that's before bruce was the boss huh was is, <laughs> is he the same guy well <laughs> yeah no he wasn't born the boss <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he was anointed by me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Matter of fact, because I was I was a boss also in my world, you know. And uh, we had the two best bands in the area, basically, uh, of our generation. You uh-huh. know, there were three bigger bands before us, uh, but but um, in our generation, we were the two best. And uh, and um, at, at, at the point where I joined his band, which really surprised people because. Like I said, our band was just, just as big as his, and I was just as popular as he was. Um, but at a certain point, I decided that he had something special that um, I, I could compliment. And I wasn't that uh, particularly uh, obsessed with uh, fronting the band anymore, uh, which I had done since I'd started. But but at that point, I was like, you know, I don't really need to front the band. I'll be I'll be a I'll be a guitar player in a band. But um, at that point, when I started calling him the boss, people started taking it seriously because I was a very significant boss myself. And, uh, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't on his first three albums, not just the first album. Oh, wow. Album. That's was, oh, okay. I didn't, I wasn't on a record till Darkest on the Edge of Town. Wow. And, and starting with The River, of course, I would become a co producer and, uh, and then we would start making great records. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the story you tell because, you know, Bruce did, according to your book, did not want to be the boss. He didn't want to be out front. He didn't want to sing. He decided someone else would sing. And you coaxed him into that position. You told him he should go solo, put his name on the band. So this may, yeah, maybe not, wouldn't not, have happened not, without not, you. Not quite solo. But right. Well, <laughs> but, but. But, but the somebody and the somebodies, you know, or, you know, at, the, at that time, the first time he used his name was called just the Bruce Springsteen Band. 
And, and uh, so we were still a band, but making note of, of his uh, significance, which uh, I felt he uh, deserved, you know, uh, since he was writing everything and singing, you know, uh, it needed to be a bit of a hybrid from a typical band. Right. And then, then you tell the story of he gets signed to Columbia Records by John Hammond, who thought he was signing a folky, you know, uh, the new Dylan. And then you he puts together this epic band with a saxophone. And you talk about how you found Clarence Clemens. What a night that must have been. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was, you know, it was also quite a statement being made. Um just at a time when everybody was concerned uh, with being with the future, you know, with being new. And um, uh, it was the, the, the separation of, you know, the, the leaving behind of tradition at that point, you know, I mean, you know, David Bowie's in a spacesuit, and, you know, <laughs> and <we> got, you know, <laughs> and, you know, we got kiss and, you know, we got cartoons and we got, you know, Alice Cooper with snakes and theatricality was coming in, you know, suddenly it was a whole new sensibility saying, goodbye past, you know, goodbye. Let's, let's, let's be new and, and interesting and creative. And so having a, you know, eight foot black man playing a saxophone <laughs> standing up front. So no one could miss him, uh, made a statement saying, you know what? We're not leaving tradition completely behind. Um, we're going to keep kind of one, you know, one foot in the past, you know, one foot kind of heading towards the future and, um, and um, have that resonance, you know, continue to have that resonance uh, that uh, made us who we were and inspired us. And we thought could, could continue to be reinvented and, and, and re, um, reimagined and, and uh, inspire uh, a new generation. Right. Um, and, and you certainly did. And you keep doing it with new generations. I, I go to your shows. I've been to easily a dozen shows over the years. And I know that doesn't put me in the upper echelon of, of uh, Springsteen fans, but I've through the years seen you guys so many times from New York to South Florida to Los Angeles. And um, always the first time I saw Bruce, you were there. It was uh, the river tour. And I went to school. I was in college at university of South Florida and I walked out of there and I said, that's the closest I think I've ever come to having a religious experience. Mm. I was, you know, I was a fan before, but I walked out of there a changed woman. It's like, now I get it. Um, there's something about those live shows and it's the energy. It's it's what you have. And w with you going back to the beginning with Bruce, and, and again, I'm still stuck on the story of when he signed to Columbia, they think he's going to be like another Dylan, a folk singer. That was the thing then. And he puts together this band. You give him Gary W. Talent, the bass player. And, and and he's got a saxophone player and they're a little uh, unsure what's going on because there's this big band and they thought they were getting a singer-songwriter. And you were going to be the second guitar player because Bruce plays guitar. And they said, no, they told you no. And so you were out? Correct. <laughs> and you just said, okay. And 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 then you, wa well, I, I, I guess you watched Bruce if you didn't start in the band again until uh, darkness then when he had the dual time and newsweek covers and you you were watching that from the sidelines was there any kind of um 
I don't know, uh, jealousy there or, or, or I don't know. No, no, I, um, no, I, uh, at that point when I left, when I was rejected from the, you know, from the, it wasn't a band. It was they were reforming. They were forming a band. Right. When I was rejected from that idea, um, I didn't feel too bad. I mean, a little bit, but I kind of felt that it was over anyway. I thought we, I thought we'd missed it. Wow. You know, I thought everything great that was going to be done had been done. I, re- I re- honestly, and, and I wasn't that far wrong to be honest. But 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 uh, uh, it was sort of a oh well, you know, um, you know that's just not that particular dream is not going to happen. And um, you know, just, just move on, you know. And I just moved on into uh, construction, you know, and um, kind of fulfilled my. Uh, Italian heritage by being a construction worker on a highway, you know. Uh, and then I would join uh, for the Born to Run tour, which was three three years later or mm-hmm. so. Uh, so I was I happened to be there when the Time and News Week thing happened. Um, you know, he had, uh, he wanted to put the guitar down for a minute and. Uh, and I left Southside Johnny and Asbury Juice and joined him for what was going to be seven shows. Wow. And then and Time and News Week hit, and uh, I stayed seven years. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I was there for that. Wow. Uh, Stevie Van Zant is with us. And you, you, you mentioned you left Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. You came up with the name Southside for Southside. You're almost like, what, what was his name? Zelig, the guy who's like there for everything. You, you sort of put all the pieces oh, in motion, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it really gets, <laughs> it really gets a bit Zelig uh, when, when uh, you know, I happen to be there when HBO reinvents TV. Right. You know, I happen to be happen to have the first Netflix show. Look at that! <laughs> and, right. When when you know suddenly TV became an international thing, you know, so uh, I happen to be the first person to have new content at Sirius Satellite. So I am kind of a Zelig like yep. uh, <laughs> in some ways. But you've uh, yeah. you've also always been able to sort of reinvent yourself and keep moving. I mean, you are. A master of so many trades. First of all, the fact that you went off after playing with Bruce before he hit it big and went into construction and did that for a few years, I had no idea. I just thought you just went off and did other bands and kept playing. So I'm, I'm learning a lot in the book. I have to be honest, I have not finished it yet. I, it's been a crazy week with everything that's going on, but I, it's with me. It's my constant companion. I'm really loving it. Um, and I can't wait to read more. Um, but the stories are great. Um, when we met again, it was, um, we, we met a few times over the, I did music radio for many years in Los Angeles. And, um, uh, when we met, I was doing this uh, morning progressive news talks, uh, show and you came in and again, it was the morning after the final broadcast of the Sopranos. Here's a little bit of that. We're speaking with little Steven, who in, right now we're talking music, so you're in the little Steven world. I want to get to the Sopranos. You mentioned HBO, and you're here. It's the, it's the morning after the final Sopranos episode. How does that feel, knowing that it's done? I, th- I think it's going to be difficult to feel that sort of door closing sort of finality. You know, mm-hmm. It's just never going to quite feel that way uh, because of our 
sort of uh, weird schedule we kept, you know, uh, you know, you work for 10 months and you're off for a year and right. uh, back and, and forth. Back. So I think psychologically it's just never going to feel like it's over. And by the time it does, hopefully uh, we'll do the movie. <laughs> <laughs> now you say that. Now we, we need to put a disclaimer on that because you also said that David Chase has never spoken to you guys about a movie. No, it's true. We, we, you, you, I've been reading about it for years and we've never discussed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and and the sad thing is, do you think there would have been a movie if James Gandolfini hadn't died? Well, uh, maybe, you know, there might have been something because uh, he did end up doing a movie. It was uh, not the movie people expected, <laughs> no. but uh, it was a Sopranos movie. Um so you never know. You never yeah, know. What, a, what, you know, that was a tragedy. The, the, um, then this year in the Super Bowl, there was a commercial that featured the kids, um, <laughs> Tony Soprano's kids. So I, then the next day I heard people go, well, at least now we know that they didn't all get killed. Was that, should they have done that commercial? Because doesn't it it take away from the ending of the Sopranos? Because it, it totally rewrote the ending. Didn't it? <laughs> I mean, My mind. I mean, <laughs> Nicole, you gotta get a life. You gotta, you know. Tell I me mean, about I mean, it. My mind goes to weird places. I know. And then, <laughs> you feel the ending. <laughs> oh my god! Because then you think, oh, they had a nice dinner. They all went home. Okay. Well, now we know. Now we know because the kids are out driving in their new car, still listening to A three, doing woke up this morning. Yeah, they went home and did a TV commercial for the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, you know, David uh, directed that, you know. Oh, did he? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, then I guess it yeah. had his seal of approval, so, okay. Definitely. Then it's yes. legit. Yeah. All right, then uh, that I take back any criticism. I was thinking they're, they're sort of stepping on territory here that's not theirs to step on. Um <laughs> Again, yes, I do need a life. I know. Uh, we're speaking with Stevie Van Zant, also known as Little Steven or Miami Steve, depending how far back you go with him. Um, uh, there was a line you had in the book that really uh, spoke to me. You were talking about the Beatles, and you said they invented the concept of musical evolution. Wow. Because that's true. You said we had done, they had, you thought it was all done, but then musical evolution comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, it really wasn't a thing um, in our business. You know, you'd have a hit, and your job was to have another hit that was pretty darn similar, if you could, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was no real sense of longevity uh, until Frank Barcelona invented it, which is a whole other you know, show we'll have to do sometime. Love to. Uh, um, a guy named Frank Barcelona literally change the industry um, um but 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 um but, but at that time there was no sense of longevity at all everybody i mean they they i think they got the script for hard day's night um in like december and it, and uh richard lester had to shoot it you know by by march to have it out for june because they thought that the, the, the band would be over by july wow uh, I mean, literally, you know, you know, um, they, 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 they hurried through the, <laughs> the hard days night, which 
turned out to be an incredible masterpiece by by a weird set of circumstances and luck, but, but uh, and, and skill. Um, but but at that time it was like you know hurry up get that Beatle movie done because it's going to be over in a month. You know uh, there was no sense of, of longevity, and suddenly here come the Beatles who. Other than the East Street Band, I, I think took the longest time of gestation to hmm. be, between beginning the band and actually having a hit uh, for the Beatles. And they were together since 57. Right. And they, right. And they had their first hit in England, like 62, you know, so whatever that was, five, you know, four or five years. Um, uh, but meanwhile, in, 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 in Germany, you know, they're doing six sets a night seven nights a week for months at a time, which is incredible. And at that time, again, I know these are, these things are hard to imagine, but there wasn't, there wasn't that many rock and roll records that existed. You know, they knew them all and mm-hmm. they played them all over and over and over again. You know, it wasn't like there was a million records out. You know, there was a finite number of records, you know, I mean, you know, more would come every year, but, but basically in the fifties, uh, even into the early 60s, it wasn't that many. Right. So all the bands in Liverpool played the same songs. <laughs> I mean, and the same style. All of them. <laughs> right. And there was an incredible number of bands in Liverpool, which is one of the great mysteries of the world. I mean, some, some historians have said as much as 100 bands in Liverpool. Wow. You know, it's just uh, incredible. Uh, you know, I, I mean, 10 bands is impressive, you know. But, but anyway, they, so they had to start writing just to be different, you know, and, and, and the same thing would happen with the Rolling Stones a few months later. Um, the, for the Stones, I remember uh, Andrew Oldham telling me, uh, their manager, uh, they were about to go on stage and the opening band played the same song they were going to play. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, because they were all playing the same Covers, songs. right, the same. You know? yeah. And that was it. Andrew said, that, that's it. You've got to start writing songs. I, I mean, because then nobody can steal them. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's going to, you know. Uh, so the Beatles got into writing pretty early. And, and, um, and I just think because they were just so bored, uh, having having paid their dues to that extent, and uh, you know, more more than the typical band. I mean, that's that's a long time, four or five years. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, they just started like inventing you know chord changes. You know, let's let's do something different. You know, and all of a sudden, all these brilliant chord changes started happening. You know, right. they go to a bridge that's just like a bridge you never heard before. You know, and and then um, album by album, um, they were just a little bit different and a little bit better and a little bit, you know, more sophisticated or or more something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and every single record had had growth to it. Which was just uh, weird and uh, and wonderful, and 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 they set this incredible standard for everybody else. So now everybody else had to rise to what they were doing, which they did. Sure. Which which created what I call a renaissance. You know, it was absolutely a renaissance period at that time. The most extraordinary uh, art being made was also the most commercial. Which will, you know, only happens every couple of hundred years, <laughs> and and um, and all the bands had to keep up with with the Beatles, you know. And that's why the Stones kept getting better and better and better, huh. and the Who and the Kinks, and you know, each band was like, you know, the Birds, um, and Bob Dylan was doing it too. So he 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 
He should get some of that. He evolved. I mean, well, he plugged in. <laughs> that was that was the sea change, yeah. right? Yeah, but even even yeah, but even his uh, folk albums were, were evolving, you know, and uh, and yeah, he started plugging in. Uh, uh, whatever it was, bring it all back home. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess you know it's uh, uh, fourth, whatever it was, fourth, fifth album. Uh, um, but but um, but they 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 set this incredible high standard of quality and adventurousness, you know, and, and creativity. So the people just couldn't, you know, just copy the the hit they had three months ago, right? Or six months ago, you know, well, they had and- like. Stretch, 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 you know. And they also, I guess they came off the road because of the the madness surrounding it. And they started playing in the studio, doing things, techniques that nobody had done before. Overdubs and, you know, you know, the technical side more than I do. But things like Sgt. Pepper's was a masterpiece. Things that no, they they broke new ground. It is musical evolution and, and set a new tone for everybody. But now we've seen other bands also go through this evolution, you know, um, going from greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey to um, through the years. And now Bruce is the last album and I'm blanking on the name of it, but he pulled out two of his old songs that hadn't been recorded, but the old lyrics were with a lot of, with a lot of words. Um, it was, was it, how was it weird going back to that kind of um, a different style, I guess, to the early style? Did it bring back memories? Um, yeah, uh, the album is Letter, Letter to You. Letter to You, that's it. And um, yeah, those were two songs I was not familiar with. Uh, but it, yeah, but it, it did bring you back to that earlier style. He had a crazy, uh, crazy style of just, you know, uh, you know, you know, lots of words, you know, very, lots of you know words. Bob Dylan, <laughs> Bob, Bob Dylan uh, influenced, you know, uh, you know, and a lot of poetry and and, um, and just interesting uh, symbols, you know, sim- symbolism and you know, it's a great. It was just great. I mean, it's my probably my favorite thing on the album. Oh, I love uh, it too because it is very reminiscent of the early stuff, but it's new because because Bruce does he has evolved through the years. He's always done something different to keep it fresh, I guess, and to challenge us. Now you keep doing different things from the music to the television to everything else. You also have written some songs that I don't think a lot of people know that you wrote. Um, Jackson Brown had a, I think a hit with I am a Patriot. That's a, that's a Steve Van Zandt song. Um, Southside's I don't want to go home. That's one of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Great songs. Yeah, Just was, great songs. Quite a, yeah, that was nice to, uh, a nice surprise, you know, when somebody uh, records. I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to go home. Uh, I had written for Benny King and the Drifters, uh, and, and I didn't give it to them, so um, we ended up using it for Southside's first album. Um, but I'm a Patriot was one on my solo albums, mm-hmm. and um, um, those are very personal albums. So I was very surprised uh, that Jackson covered it, and, and, and Eddie Vedder also uh, with a Pearl Jam. Um, they both they both covered that song and and um, you know it's always a surprise. I mean, Solidarity was also a hit for Black Uhuru. Oh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, uh, they, uh, they I think they won a Grammy for that. So um, you know when when you're writing something that personal, it's uh, it's a nice surprise when somebody else does it. You know, because I wasn't writing you know in that style of, of uh, 
like I would write for Southside Johnny right. on on uh, the four albums I did with him. You know what I mean? I, I started writing specifically for for Johnny. Hmm. Uh, you know. But uh, these were these were personal kind of records that, uh, you know, you just don't expect to be covered. Right. Well, music, you know, again, is is it's a huge part of all of our lives. Some it, it, to some people, it's much more important because it's your life work. You've taken it to another level. And, you know, I'm one of those people. It's if you can't play it, you play other people's music on the radio, which I did for years. You now created not one, but two formats. In fact, when you visited me in the studio uh, back in two, was 2007, I think, 2007, um, we were talking a lot about it. You had the uh, Steve, Little Stevens Underground Garage, which was a syndicated show at the time. It had just, right. you had just, I think we're just starting on Sirius. It was before Sirius XM merged even, um, but it was a syndicated show on stations around the country. And, you know, we talked a lot about formatics. That that's a format the the underground garage explain how you how you pick a band that would fit that format well it's pretty wide you know we we cover a lot of ground basically the entire history of rock from 1951 we go back to uh, to new bands uh, we've introduced over a thousand new bands mm. um, you know so it's the uh, quite a big umbrella you know over uh um it's basically the the british invasion is sort of the center of it the heart of it and everything that influenced the british invasion we play and everything the british invasion has influenced since uh, that's kind of pretty much uh, could, can generalize it that way um i need to hear usually some kind of roots you know in, in the music for it to fit and it can be soul, it can be, you know, it can be surf, it can be girl group, it can be uh, early R&B, you know, it can be a lot of things to fit our format. But uh, I picked, I personally picked, I don't know how many now, it's probably around 6,000 songs. Wow. And, um, yeah, we have a, and we have a coolest song in the world this week, every week. Uh -huh. So um, what's the coolest song in the world now? Um, this week is, uh, what this week I think is a new song by Elvis Costello. Actually. Oh, uh, the new album. I've only heard the one, the first single so far, but uh, a big yeah, Elvis Costello yeah, fan yeah. as well. That's this week. But yeah, so we, we, you know, we'll play obviously new records by older artists, uh, which, you know, nobody else is doing for some weird reason. Uh, you know, if the Rolling Stones put out a new record, we're the ones who play it, you know, or, or, or Paul McCartney or Ringo or, right. you know, whoever. But, you know, so, um, so are you involved on a day-to-day -day basis with the two channels? You have the um, uh, um, Outlaw Country as well. So our Country, yeah. And we just started a third channel, uh, the Coolest Song channel, because after 20 years, uh, we have over a thousand coolest songs in the world that we had picked that week. We put them all on a, on a channel, 721, called the Coolest uh, Song Channel. So we now, have, we now have three channels on Sirius Satellite. Um, but yeah, Outlaw Country, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not quite as involved as, as much. I, I, I keep an eye on it, obviously, and I, I created it. 
And, um, you know, I still, it's mine. It's my channel. But I spend most of the time with the Underground Garage channel because we're always evolving and uh, making it, you know, better and adjusting things. And, um, but um, I'm proud. I'm proud of I'm proud of uh, all, all three channels. Good. I, you know, I, I love that you do this. Look, I'm a I'm a radio person and I came from music radio and I worked in the AAA format. And that's the format that also played the bands that you're talking about from Elvis Costello to Bruce to Little Steven to Jackson Brown to uh, Talking Heads. To, you know, the bands that don't get heard anymore on on commercial radio because they play the same 10 songs over and over again um we we used to introduce music and unfortunately those stations have mostly disappeared the ones i worked at in la uh, were sold one spanish the one that was in san francisco one was in portland i mean they're all gone so it's yeah. nice that at least you know you're on sirius xm and you can hear uh, this kind of stuff and if you're ever looking for a jock I, i'm 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 available always, um, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Um, so so the television stuff. You said you you never intended to go out and like become an actor, um, but it sort of happened. David Chase saw you on TV and and called you and said, "I'm doing the show, The Sopranos. We want you." Literally, yes. I know it's ridiculous, but that's what happened. Uh, saw me. Uh, you know, inducting the Rascals into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame happened to be the first time it was televised, you know, and uh, really start looking at destiny a whole different way. I, I, I lay out the 10 ridiculous things that had to happen for me to get that gig on Sopranos. Uh, and, you, and you start to really wonder about destiny. Um, but it was um, it was just a time when I had nothing else to do. I was just kind of in the, in the wilderness. And... Um, you know, a new a new craft opportunity was offered, and I was so thankful, and will be forever grateful to David Chase for uh, giving me that gift. You know, and uh, and then everything I learned on Sopranos, I used on Lilyhammer. Now, Lilyhammer. So, how did that come about? And I got to tell you, we just started watching it, knowing that I was going to talk to you, and I've been hearing about Lilyhammer for for years. And I said, wait a minute. I'm interviewing Steve Van Zandt later next week. Let's watch Lilyhammer. And oh my God, it's, 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 it's absurd and funny and charming and all those things. So how did that come together? Yeah. A lot of people have discovered it over the quarantine. Um, uh, I was producing a band. I, I signed a bunch of Norwegian bands from my record label and I was producing a, a mixing a record in Bergen, Norway. And, uh, and they said, uh, you know, uh, a couple is here to say hello. And I went down to the lobby and and uh, they said, we wrote a TV show for you. Wow. You know, something you don't hear every day. <laughs> no. And uh, I was like, well, wow, what's the pitch, you know? And they were like, gangster goes in witness protection program <laughs> in Lillehammer, Norway. <laughs> because you like the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, damn, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. I just played a gangster for 10 years, you know. Uh, but in the end, I just couldn't resist. I mean, whoever heard of starring in a local foreign country show? I mean, who's ever done that? You know, it's insane, right? Uh, and and uh, I'm like, this is, this is an adventure I can't pass Wait, up. Wait, so I that mean, was a show that was produced for Norway? That was a local show there? That Netflix? By Norway. By Norway, oh. for Norway, yeah. And it was only a couple of weeks in 
that I realized uh, we can't afford to shoot the show that we wrote. Because <laughs> I, I, I co-wrote it with the two creators. You know, I was confident and Ann Bjornstad. And so I said, um, I called my agent. I said, listen, get me, get me, get me some meetings. Because uh, I just heard about this new thing called uh, Netflix. Netflix. But if it hadn't been across the street, I went to Stars first because um, I knew Chris Albrecht from HBO. Mm-hmm. And Chris was like, he was totally, I, I, we made a trailer. Uh, we only had been filming, I don't know how long, uh, maybe a month or two. So we didn't have a whole episode yet, but I, I showed him a trailer. And he was, in, he was, he loved it, you know. And, and the bizarre premise of it, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, is my, my character understands Norwegian but doesn't speak it. Okay. So, so you got the one guy speaking English, and it was experiment. You know, could, could this work? Um, because everything else is subtitled. Yes. And uh, it turns out the American audiences, once they discover it, just, just really fell in love with it, and, and the, the subtitles just disappear, they tell me, you know, because that one person speaking English was just enough, uh, and everybody just takes that trip with him into Norway, where naturally people are mostly speaking Norwegian, you know, so it kind of feels right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you do need the subtitles, but it's making me pay more attention. During the pandemic, I before the pandemic, I used to volunteer weekends at the county animal shelter. I would help get dogs adopted because I love animals. During the pandemic, I didn't leave the house. So I took up painting. I don't know if you can see behind me. I now paint pet portraits. And so, and in fact, I'd love to paint Edie for you. If, if you want to send me a photograph, I would love to paint Edie's portrait. But we can talk about that later. Um, but, but so I, I sit at night and I paint while I'm watching TV. But I can't do that with Lilyhammer because I have to be able to watch and read the subtitles. So you're really right. making me pay attention. But that's yeah, okay sorry. because I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it, it, it. It keeps getting better too. As oh, you'll good. See. Oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. Now you're doing something else that's just so cool, and I love that you keep you 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 inco- you bring all this stuff to the table. Teach Rock. Tell us about Teach Rock. Well. Um... Uh, let me see now. Uh, again, I'm trying to do a whole lot of stuff really in a quick way. Yeah. Um, um, the the legislature, the Congress passed a law called No Child Left Behind. I remember because that our, because our math and science scores had gone, you know, below, you know, like uh, Tanganyika or whatever, and and um, um. So they, in their wisdom, the public school system eliminated all the arts classes and started uh, becoming a, a you know a testing mania, mm-hmm. um, you know. So um, the music teachers came to me. I went to Washington D.C. I talked with the, uh, Teddy Kennedy at the time, and and that's how far back this goes. And Mitch McConnell, uh, don't get me started. And um, and the short, you know, bottom line is, um, I they said we're not going to fix it. You know, the the unintended consequence of No Child Left Behind was all the arts classes got canceled, yeah. and they, they told me they're not going to fix it. So I came back to the teachers. I said, listen, we're not going to put instruments in kids' hands for a minute. 
We'll find other ways to do that. And then we have with little kids rock and a few other things. But um, so I got an idea. Why don't we do, why don't we do a music history curriculum instead, which um, not only can be for every student, not just musicians, but uh, it can be cross-curricular as well. You know, it can be music class, English class, social studies. And um, the main uh, idea is to keep the arts in the DNA of the Please. public education yeah. system. So uh, that's when we, go, we got started. I, I outlined uh, 200 lessons. Uh, we are now uh, 260 or 280 lessons. Uh, 40,000 teachers are registered. Uh, we have partner schools that are using our, our, our stuff. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, the three, the three part mission was keep the arts in the DNA, discover and, and create a new methodology for these kids who are smarter than us and faster than us and have no patience whatsoever. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you get their attention and keep it? Mm-hmm. We figured out a way to do that. And then ultimately the goal, once we get, you know, really uh, once we get it distributed uh, to a bigger extent, uh, we hope to start affecting the dropout rate, which is just uh, absolutely, uh, you know, embarrassing, uh, you know, um, about 50% of the, of the kids in poor neighborhoods are dropping out. And then 50% of them end up in a criminal justice system sure. somewhere, you know, and, but if kids, um, the statistics say if a kid likes one single class or one single teacher, they'll come to school. So we wanted to be that, that class, you know, the people, the kids look forward to, and the teachers look forward to, and that's what's happening. Uh, it's pretty much, uh, it's working very well. Good. I love, I love that you go from STEM to STEAM. You add the yeah. arts in the middle, which is, is so important. Kids need that. Yeah. They need, they need a well-rounded foundation and you don't have that without the arts. Uh, I know our, our time is almost up. I got to say one thing, the website, your website is littlesteven.com. You're now also in the cannabis business. Oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the jack of all trades here. You're and, and, and awesome. Um, we'll have to yeah, check out yeah. your wares. We started, uh, we started little Stevens underground apothecary where we have, um, you know, teas, you know, uh, we started to do things for the immune system. Uh, we have teas and lollipops, uh, with all these herbs, you know, really good herbs for your immune system and, uh, some wonderful candles, and uh, coffee is coming hopefully within a month or two. Wow. Um, and then uh, we said, yeah, let's expand it and uh, let's go with some cannabis too. So we actually, uh, our first uh, blend is, um, is a very medicinal blend. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, more of the medicine than the, than the part that gets you high. You okay. Know? CBD it's, it's as opposed to the yeah. THC, right? Exactly. Uh, and, um, you know, so we'll we'll end up having three different levels of of you know of the THC, but 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 right now we want to start off with the most mellow, something for you know maybe for people who are just starting who haven't done it before, or for or literally are smoking for their health, which there's a lot of people doing. Yes, you know. yes, absolutely. So um, so yeah, we said you know why not? And we I give CBD to my dog because he's getting older and he's got joint problems. The other kind uh-huh. of joint. So we, we do that. Um, I, I need to share a photograph with you. It's one of my favorite pictures. Um, back in 2003, 
you were down here for something and you needed IDs for one of the stations or more of the stations that carried your show when it was syndicated. So um, Mark Felsot hired me to go over to your hotel and record these IDs. And I shot that. That was my daughter, Allison. I didn't have a, a babysitter. And so I love that picture. So it's one of my favorites. Um, Allison is now 22. So we do go back a long ways. She, you know, 2003, she was four. She and she still is. She's a good kid. And I got to take her to see you guys. She went with me to a Bruce show here in Sunrise, Florida, the last tour. Um, And uh, I I didn't I should have pulled a picture of that because we had a blast. So I'm trying to pass it along to the next generation. Uh, Steve Van Zandt, what a pleasure this has been. You know, you can tell I'm a fan. I'm a lifelong fan. Um, Loving the book. I, I, I I'm excited that. Actually, I still have more to go. Um, and Lily Hammer. And hopefully, uh, any more music coming? Any tour coming? Um, any, any? No, not, not, not this year. Um, right now, I'm working. I'm, I'm helping Dion. I, they're doing a play about Dion. Oh, wow. Uh, which is going to open uh, It's gonna open in about three weeks, actually, at the Paper Mill Playhouse in, uh, in Jersey. And then on its way to Broadway, nice. so I've been uh, I've been helping out Dion as a, as a, just just consulting a little bit on on the music because you know it's tough rock and roll and Broadway is uh, it's kind of a shotgun marriage you know. Uh, it's well, Bruce did okay tough. with it. Bruce did okay with it, and well, David Byrne did okay with it. Yeah, um, true. But they're doing the, <laughs> they're doing music. their thing, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, in a way that's just more performance oriented, right? You know? And Dion again is is Dion DiMucci. He's been he's kids today don't know who Dion is. Right. Well, he was a, he was one of the pioneers of rock and uh, really brought uh, a certain attitude to mm-hmm. rock for the first time. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, and this is different than than the two you mentioned because this is like a real play about him. So, right. But you, you know, also you yeah. did you you brought the Rascals back together again and you had them yeah. doing a show which was awesome. I mean, yeah, I that love that good. you 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 are helping to introduce the music that we grew up with to to kids who might otherwise not know it yeah no i i i do that uh, for a number of reasons uh, one of which is just showing my gratitude to them because uh you know without them we're not we're not here but yeah that was the high point of my artistic life that that rascals broadway yeah. show i did mm. but uh again that was another hybrid that was a whole another different kind of show this is a real normal broadway show you know singing and dancing and choreography like jersey boys and, uh, maybe yeah closer know. to that uh, yeah 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 like the like jersey boys you know with Carol King. Uh, oh, sure. Beautiful. Like that, you know, so it's, but it's not as easy as it looks. So it, it, it's, it's a little bit tricky, but uh, it's turning out great. And I think uh, people better hurry if they want to get tickets because it's only going to be at the paper mill for a month around, uh, I think it opens like March 24th or so. And, uh, and then uh, on its way to Broadway, probably. Great. Well, I look forward to hearing this. Um, hopefully the E Street Band has at least one more tour in you guys. Because I, I, I'm selfish. Um, I'd love to see it. Uh, it. What a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much for your time and for being so uh, open and generous with all your stories, because they are amazing. Stevie Van Zandt, um, on Twitter at Stevie Van Zandt, littlesteven.com. The book is Unrequited Infatuations, and it is wonderful. Thank you so much. You made my... Yeah. year so far. Thank you. <laughs> Good talking to you, Nicole. You too.
and you know. Okay, see, I told you. This is why I did not want to come on after the interview to do the bonus hour. Because after that, frankly, I don't want to talk about war and Putin and people getting... I don't want to go there. We've had enough of that already. And it's the weekend now. And I'm sure there will be more of it. But uh, for now, I want to revel in the glory of little Stephen and and say that... Um, Oh, and there's Jackson saying the same thing. Um, yeah. Uh, thank goodness for people like him, right? My goodness, how talented. And, I, you know, the Zelig line just came to me in that he's, like, everywhere. He's next to everyone. Um, and involved in so many different things. Between the radio stuff, and yes, I'm jealous, and I was, I was serious about <laughs> about if he needs, uh, you know, another person for one of his Sirius XM channels. I can do that. I'm also painting a picture of his dog, Edie. Um, I thanked him via Twitter after the the, uh, interview. I said, I I tweeted out, hey, Stevie Van Zandt, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. It'll uh, it'll air Friday. And um, it was great. Thank you. And he wrote me back. He tweeted back to me. And he said, say hi to your daughter. Edie says hi. With a picture of Edie, the dog, who is a, a cavalier spaniel. And so I am I'm painting her. And uh, yeah, so because you know I do that. And, and with that, we're done. And tomorrow I'm going to go see this Dylan exhibit. And in the meantime, you know I'll be thinking about my friend Tatiana over in Ukraine and hoping that she made it somewhere safe to the village where her friends live and that they're able to sleep at night. (sighs) And then we have a weekend and then we come back Monday and do it all over again. And Monday on this program, I'll be joined by Ellie Mastal, who's one of my favorite commentators that I see on TV, one of my favorite writers at The Nation. And ah, I don't know what I did with his book now. It's here somewhere. Oh, here it is allow me to retort. So that's what I'll be doing this weekend. I will see you Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening. Stay safe.